0: Good morning. good morning. That wasn't very good. Come on. Good morning. good morning. Are you excited to be at church this morning? Yeah. Whew, that was pretty lame, too. Are you excited to be at church this morning? Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Me, too. Welcome. If you're new here, uh, welcome. My name's Justin. I'm the lead pastor here. Very excited that you have decided to join us. Uh, it is just a wild time. There are so many good things happening right now. Um, I just came from the encounter I'm going to push that over there. Uh, I just came from the Encounter Weekend. We've got about 40 people or so um, in Madison, Connecticut at a retreat right now. And um, just seeking God. I got to teach on the filling of the Holy Spirit this morning already. And uh, saw God do amazing and powerful things. And so uh, this is round two for me. And I get to talk about money this time. So really exciting. And uh, last night was, uh, was back in... Uh, in East Rock for our East Rock location. If you're new here, this may sound a little strange, but um, here at City Church, we're just convinced that church has virtually nothing to do with a location. Somebody say amen. And has everything to do with the people of God. Has everything to do with people that are committed to Jesus and committed to one another. And so um, we meet at all different locations. Right now there's a service going on in Bridgeport that is, uh, that is going through the same teaching as a matter of fact. And so it's exciting to see all that God is doing. Lots of just really kind of exciting stuff going on. And uh, today we start a series called God and Cash. And so we're talking about money which is maybe the touchiest topic in all of church-isms, right? So of all the things that you could talk about in church, you know, um, money definitely has a pretty bad rap. And, uh, you know, Adam stole my tagline. Thanks a lot, Adam. But I do want to have good news for you today that God truly is not interested in your money. He doesn't want your money. He doesn't, uh, you know, he doesn't need your money. God is definitely not interested in your money. But he is massively interested in your heart and um, intertwined within your soul, there is this thing that connects your heart and your money. And so there's a lot of questions about money, and people have a lot of issues with money, and certainly the church has done a lot throughout history to give people reason to not trust uh, Christians and churches and leaders in regards to money. And so, you know, in the area of finance, people think, well, you know, how are the finances being handled and how are, you know, things going to be managed? And we're going to actually unpack a lot of that in the next few weeks. But uh, I want to get to a couple of the root issues here that we struggle with. You know, like, um, does God want me rich or does God want me poor? I mean, some people say he wants me rich and some people say he wants me poor. Should I save money or should I give all my money away? Should I live on a budget? Is that something? Or should I have a plan? And what, the, what does that plan look like? Should I have financial goals, and how do I manage my money, and, and do I manage, wait a minute, am I supposed to be managing my money? Some of you are thinking, you know, how much do I give, and where do I give if I'm supposed to give, and you know, how does all of this work? Well, I don't know if you are breathing right now, hopefully you are, check your pulse, just make sure, but um, if you're breathing, you probably know that finances in our world in 2013 is a very complicated and awkwardly prescribed issue. What I mean by that is, um, you know, I remember when you're, you know, 15, 16, 17 years old and you're trying to start, you know, your kind of journey in life, you find that um, everybody tells you that you can't really get much or do much until you have It's a big C word. Anybody want to guess credit? You know, you guys didn't get that credit. You need credit, right? And so you need credit. And so you're going to have a score and they're going to tell you how good you are. It's like the SATs for the adults, you know, like you have to have a credit score. And it's important that your score is good because that enables you to do things like buy a house or all these other things. And so, you know, it's important that you have a credit score. And so you've got to get a credit. This one's easier. Oh, thank you. Very good. Well done. A credit card. Yeah. So you need a credit card so you can get a credit score. And and so you've got to get this card. And, you know, but then the problem is, you know, you you don't have a credit card, and so you need a credit card, but nobody will give you a credit card because you don't have any credit. Has anybody experienced that reality? It's like, what the heck am I supposed to do here? You know, con somebody into a Macy's card or something like that, and then you can start this process. And then once you have that, you know, you go to college. And if you go to college, which many of us have and many of us do, you find that they charge you a lot of money. It's like, what the heck? This book is like 450 bucks. It's a terrible book that nobody even wants to read and you're going to charge me that much money. And yes, they are. And they're going to update the edition every year so that you have to buy it. Even if it means they just change the page one or two, you know, it's like, oh, well now page four is page seven. So you're not gonna be able to follow along. And so we put new pictures in there because we wanted you to pay another 400 bucks this year, you know, and so college professors say, amen. And so it's true. That's really what they do because they got to pay these guys somehow, right? And so they, they crank up the, the cost of everything Right? And so now... I'm gonna leave college with I don't know twenty thousand, thirty thousand, forty thousand, fifty thousand, sixty thousand dollars in debt, but I've got my credit card, so at least that helps me get by, sort of, I think, kind of. And then you get out of college and maybe you got married, or maybe you bought a house, or maybe you got a car, and so maybe you took out a car loan, and then maybe you got, you know, a house loan, and so now you've got a car loan, a house line, a credit card loan, you know, and then you're you're trying to, you know, deal with all these things. You're trying to manage this, and you've got those student loans that is like seven billion dollars you have to pay back every month, and then you've got Lights that just got darker, and then you've got all types of things that you know are, are uh, Lord, um, that are uh, that are pressuring you, and now you find yourself maybe five years, ten years, twenty years out of this thing. You're still paying back student loans on a degree you're not even using, and you're already feeling all the pressures of this stuff. So much so that, dude, you need a vacation. Of course, you haven't planned for it, so let's get some more debt and. Go on vacation. You deserve it, don't you? I want to uh, start with some disclosure, some personal disclosure, so that you can, um, so that you can know where I'm coming from. Okay, uh, because I do understand that I'm walking into this with a deficit already. Just because I'm a preacher, and just because this is a church, and we're talking about money, um, I've got two strikes against me already. So let me just uh, let me just unpack a couple things. I believe that in the church, let me set the bar first. That uh, leaders, specifically should have an impulse towards simplicity, that they should, and I've preached on this before, you guys know, if you go back to our series on uh, the disciplines that we did in August, you'll find that we did an entire, an entire talk on simplicity. Believe that leaders in the church should have an impulse towards simplicity, but they should be paid fairly, that they should be wise with their finances, that they should prepare for the future, that they should always provide for their family, and that they should lead the way in generosity, always with an eye for eternity, not for temporal. That's what I believe. And my wife and myself have done this perfectly. (laughs) So it's all you that are messed up. No, we obviously, we haven't. We haven't done it perfectly. You know, a little bit of our journey, we started in 2004, launched this nonprofit ministry, this traveling ministry. We're all over the place, different uh, churches, ministering, preaching, playing music. And our salary at that time was $700 a month. Whew, we were loaded. It was awesome. We had all this extra cash lying around. And no, our, our mortgage, we had bought a house, a multifamily house, and the mortgage on the house total was about 1500 a month. And so here we were with $700 a month. Our bills were about 2500 2600 a month uh, starting off in 2004. Oh, those are the days. And, uh, and, you know, that's reality. We were pretty short, you know, but we trusted God and we saw God work miracles. Uh, When we started the church, one of the first things we did is, uh, you know, Justin doesn't set his own salary. We have a board of advisors that sets my salary that uh, when you go to the membership class, you can learn more about. And uh, in 2011, we bought another home. We have our multifamily that we rent out now, but we have another home that we purchased. It's a three bedroom. It's about, you know, um, I don't know, 200,000 square feet. No, it's not. I'm just kidding. Lighten up. This is going to be fun, right? And, uh, you know, we live modestly. We live modestly because we believe that's part of our journey, that we want to do that. Not that God doesn't want to bless or anything like that. We'll get into that. But that we want to live our lives and seek to give generously. All of our debt we're seeking to pay off. Uh, We are on a plan right now to pay off all of our debt by um, about the middle of 2014. And uh, then we want to aggressively attack our mortgages and hopefully pay those off in the next 10 years. And so we have a passion to be out of debt. That's part of our DNA, but we're humble. We seek to be, and we're honest. Or at least we seek to be, and we seek with all of our hearts to honor Jesus with our money, but we made some stupid mistakes. Let me see your hand. If you've made some stupid mistakes in the area of money. Okay. A few of us. Are I suppose are liars. Yeah, um, you've made some. I have. I mean, I remember the time that I was so tired, I fell into the vacation trap. You know that I deserved a vacation, and I hadn't planned for it or prepared for it. And so I took my wife um, to St. Augustine, Florida, and we went to the Hilton Hotel, and we went uh, on a on a uh, carriage ride. And our our I'll never forget our. Um, our horse's name was Old Meech and Old Meech took us all around the carriage and a drunk carriage rider guy told us all about the different parts of the city. I think he made them all up as he went along, but it was still awesome. And I just tried to kiss my wife the whole time. And it was great. Awesome. We went and had a really nice restaurant and did all this nice stuff. And Justin hadn't really prepared for that. And so it left us with a little bit of um, debt. And I paid for that stupid carriage ride for like 13 months. <laughs> Bummer. We were strategically unstrategic one time. We thought we would be brilliantly strategic with our finances, and we had this awesome Saturn, you know how reliable and long-lasting those are, and, uh, and the Saturn car, and and, uh, and so we had this Saturn, Saturn, you don't have to raise your hand, it's okay, your shame can stay with you, but... We had this awesome Saturn that we were driving and uh, it was uh, we had two years left in a car payment that we should have never gotten in the first place. I'm pretty anti car payment, by the way. And, uh, you know, it was 225 bucks a month for this car payment. We thought we'd get rid of it. We were refinancing our house to get a lower interest rate. We could wrap the car into the loan and not have the car payment anymore. And we thought about it and we kind of processed it. and We thought we are so strategic. It's about six months later that I realized that I was paying 7% for the next two years to pay off that loan, or I was going to pay 5% with it rolled into a loan for 30 years. I'm still paying for the Saturn. Still paying. I'm going to end up paying like 25 G's for that Saturn, I think, by the time we're done. Bummer. How are you looking? How are things going for you? How are things going for you? Do you have a plan for your spending? Do you have an actual plan for your spending? When you go out to eat at Buffalo Wild Wings or TGI Fridays or Shake Shack or whatever it is that you're going to go right after this and you go there and then tomorrow night, oh, friends are going out so you're going to go there and then the next night, oh, we're going to go to the movies because there's a new movie out and so, you know, we're going to go shoot and go over there and that's going to cost, you know, $20,000 because the popcorn is, you know, 25 bucks and, you know, so, and then I'm going to go here and I'm going to do that. Is there planners that just like, oh, please, please go, please say go. When you swipe that card, don't say denied, just say happy. Come on, come on. Is that the plan? I mean, is that the way that it's working for you? Is there any type of plan in place? Do you plan your generosity or is generosity kind of an afterthought? Like, okay, um, what's left to give? Well, there's a few dollars left to give. Let's do that. Is generosity a specific plan? If I sat down with you today and we just walked through your bank account, your ledger for the last two months, how would that feel? I mean, just just asking, how would it feel? Would I find that you spend more on Dish TV and Netflix and, you know, um, the Internet in your house than you spend on the mission of God in the city? Something to think about. What that feel like? Maybe you're here and uh, are you feeling the pressure? You know that feeling in your chest? I know it. That feeling in your chest where it's like, oh, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And you're feeling that pressure of the student loans, the pressure of the credit card bill, the pressure of the other debt that you just incurred, and that, you know, you've got that issue with the hospital, you've got to pay back, and you've got that other thing that you had to do that you need to pay back, and the pressure, and the pressure, and the pressure. Are you feeling that pressure right now? You can turn to the person next to you and say, I already hate this series. Go ahead and tell them, I already hate this series. Why are we doing this? I hate this series. Let's find another church. I want to tell you right now that right now, God wants to bring supernatural, divine freedom. He wants to bring freedom. But I also want to tell you this, that it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. There's going to be some changes. God's going to prick your heart in some specific ways. And it is going to be uncomfortable. So I want you to engage that from the beginning. If you have a Bible, go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is just kind of a foundation. We're going to dig into a whole bunch more stuff the next couple of weeks. I want to set the foundation this morning. First Timothy chapter 6, we're talking about perspectives today. Different perspectives on finances. And um, I want to give you, if you, those of you that are like note takers, that you've been passionate. We just went through this Awaken Me series and you didn't really have anything to write down. You're like, oh, I need to take some notes. I've got a really good note taking sermon for you today. So you can write at the top of your you know, uh, page a good investment okay a good investment you can write that right on the top of your note-taking page if that's what you like to do and i'm going to actually give you points today so it's going to be very exciting for some of you type a people feel like you accomplish something when you leave so that's wonderful verse 17 of first timothy chapter 6 you ready No one says anything great as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy They're to do good and be rich in good works to be generous and ready to share thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you that in the craziness of this life, with all of the chaos, that we can still come back to something written 2,000 years ago and it is just as pressing and pertinent and alive as the day it was written down. Thank you for eternal truth that we can base our life upon. Thank you that when relationships fail and when circumstances fail and when everything around us is uncertain, you never change. Holy Spirit, I invite you right now I invite you right now, we humble ourselves and we confess that we're not that brilliant, that we're not that amazing, that we need you so desperately. We come to you poor in spirit because we know that when we do, you give us the kingdom. God, we humble ourselves right now. And I ask something supernatural takes place in the next few minutes. Father, I pray that, um, that people today, every one of us would not hear the voice of a man but that God speaking today in a very clear and specific way to each of our hearts, we would hear the voice of God. Talk to us, Holy Spirit, through your word. We welcome you now. Amen. Amen. Scripture has a lot to say about money. Actually, it's kind of an awkwardly significant amount of Scripture that is given to this topic of money. Um, Two-thirds of Jesus' parables deal with money or possessions. You know, uh, the Gospels, one out of every 10 verses deals with financial issues in the Gospels. Uh, There's about 2,300 verses together in the Bible that deal some level with financial issues. And, uh, it's because this is a massively important topic and it's not important again, because God wants your money. It's important because God understands that your heart and your money so easily. In fact, I would even contend that naturally they get interwoven together. And so it's a big deal. And so the way that you handle your money is a clear indication of what's happening in your heart. And so it's very important to God, how you handle your money, not for the sake of the money, but for the sake of the heart. And so he cares. He cares about the dollars you have. He cares about the way you spend. He cares about these things. And in this passage, we're going to look at today in first Timothy six, we're dealing with a specific contingency of people, right? He targets in this passage, the rich, you know, any rich people, anybody know any rich people, maybe, you know, a couple rich people think in your mind right now, close your eyes, close your eyes just for a second. How many rich people, you know, think about the first rich person that pops in your head. Think about the first rich person that you thought of right there question for you do they make more than you do you can open your eyes now do they make more than you probably I mean they probably do because most of us you know when we think of someone rich we think of Bill Gates or we think of you know Warren Buffett or we think of these people or maybe you think of somebody else but here's the question I want to ask you today and this is a life-shattering paradigm altering idea who are they rich compared to are they rich compared to mom or maybe it is mom Are they rich compared to you? The majority of the time we think of rich people, we think of someone that's wealthier than me. And so this interesting nuance about finance that is very difficult for us to grasp is that spending expands to fill income. What I mean by that, anybody that's ever gotten a raise can say, amen, spending expands to fill income. So you're making $40,000 and you're feeling like, gosh, if I made a hundred, I would be loaded. And then you get a raise or things change and shift around and now you're making close to 100 and you're thinking, good night, if I just made 200, I'd be rich. Those people that make 200, they are rich. And then maybe, maybe you're making 200 and you're saying, you know, Justin, the truth is I make 200, but I'm not rich because I have all these other things. See, I've got this and I've got that. I've got to deal with this. And I'm not really rich, even though I make 200 on paper and it's me and my spouse and it's together, or whatever. I make 200, but those people that make 400, they're rich. And those people that make 400, they say, oh, you know, it's true. You know, I do make 400,000. That may seem a lot to you. But if you look at the course of my life and all the different things I have to deal with, the truth is, even though I make 400, I'm not that rich. If I made eight, I'd be rich. See, rich is a moving target. Rich is something that shifts. Rich can be defined specifically in American culture in most of our minds as more than me. Rich is more than me. Cause I'm not rich. I know that, but I know somebody else is that has more than me. And so rich equals more than me. So that could be hundred, 200, 300, 400, 500. It could be 50 bucks. If you're broke, rich is more than me. And so whatever the number is for you, this ambiguous idea of rich can't get nailed down. So what do you got to do? Well, I would encourage you to do something terrifying. Isn't that what you want to do? When you came to church today, zoom out, zoom out with me, zoom out. And for a moment, consider the perspective of God. Consider the perspective of God past, just Americans, because God doesn't see just Americans, to the whole world. Zoom out for a moment. Look at the 7 billion people on the planet. 7 billion people. Come on, just do this with me mentally right now. You're looking at 7 billion people on the planet. God perspective. He sees everyone at the same time. And let's just say, okay. Of the 7 billion people, we'll take the top, whatever, let's say 15%, and we'll call them rich, right? And the rest, the other 85%, we'll call them not as rich, right? And so that's cool. So we'll just we'll just say, okay, those top 15% from God's perspective, maybe that's the ones that He would call rich. And of course, I don't have a scripture to back that up. I'm just using these numbers arbitrarily, but just say, for example, that the top, you know, the top 15%, those are the rich people in the world. Of the seven billion people on planet earth, of which God will hold accountable as being rich, those that are fifteen percent, for example, of the richest, they'll be the ones that maybe God says those ones are the rich ones. So maybe this passage in First Timothy is targeted at them them, but certainly you're not there, right? You know that if you make $17,000 a year, you are in the top 12% richest people on the planet. If you make $35,000 a year, you are in the top 5% richest people on the planet. If you make $60,000 or more in one household, you are the richest 1%. Let me see if you have a car, drive a car. Anybody have a car in the house? Yeah, a few of us great. 92% of the world does not have a car. 92% of the world does not have a car. Let me see if you have a toilet. Toilet in your house. Anybody? Toilet. Half of us great. Yeah. So <laughs> 2.6 billion people don't have a toilet. If your mom and dad read and write, that puts you ahead of 1 billion people on the planet. I'm going to talk to you today about four lies. Four lies about money that we've been believing. I told you note takers, you're like, "Ha! Ah. Four lies, okay?" Four lies. Lie number 1, you can write this down. Lie number 1 that you've been believing, I'm not really rich. I'm not really rich. So therefore, this scripture doesn't apply to me. I'm not really rich. Somebody else is. Somebody that makes more than me is actually rich. Look at me today. Yes, you are. You are really rich. You are rich. Is it possible that you could stand before God, maybe existing right now in the wealthiest 5% of the world, out of 7 billion people, and say with a straight face to God, God, I'm not really rich. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. And since you are, it's wise of you and I to read this warning in Scripture toward the rich because it's targeted at us. Let's look at it together. Verse 17. As for the rich. Raise your hand if that includes you. Raise your hand. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Charge them not to be Haughty, high-minded. See, the first concern that the apostle had regarding the rich is pride or haughtiness, high-mindedness, this perspective of self as if they were better. And pride has this way of distorting reality. And not allowing you to see that the reality is distorted, right? It's kind of like makeup for the soul. You can cover up all the imperfections. You can kind of remove the issues. And you can deceive yourself. It allows you to believe certain things that are not true. Haughtiness in particular leads us into lie number two. If lie number one is I'm not really rich, lie number two is I deserve to be where I am. Lie number two is I deserve to be where I am. Now you might be thinking, well, hold on a second. I do deserve to, you don't understand. I started this business. I've worked from the ground up. I've earned this money. I've deserve this job. I went to college. I paid a bajillion dollars for it. And here I am and I've worked hard and I deserve to have the money I am. And you know, the money I have is mine. I made it, it's mine. I deserve it. No, you don't. That's actually a deception. Certainly, maybe you did work hard. I hope you did. Certainly, maybe you are smarter than the other guy. Maybe you are. Maybe you were very disciplined. Maybe you went to the best school. But really, do you think that you deserve all that you have? If you were born in America, the reality is you were born in the wealthiest nation on planet Earth. Did you deserve that? Did you do something before you were born that deserved you to be born here rather than maybe, say, the poorest nation on the planet? No. And the opportunities that have come your way, some of them were things that you opened up. And the reality is some of them are things that other people opened up for you. In fact, I would say that a significant percentage of those that you're experiencing were opened up for you. And even the skills that you have, well, who gave you those? Because there's some people that can't learn to read. Not because they don't have opportunity, but they don't have the capacity. And yet somehow you do. There are others that can't walk because of some physical condition. And yet, maybe here today, you can. There's some that can't even use their hands because of some type of condition. And yet you can, but you've not done anything in particular. It wasn't the Cheerios that you ate as a kid that enabled that to happen. See, what I'm saying today is that deep down, the reality is you don't deserve where you are. Look what Scripture says about it. I'm going to hit you with a few. 1 Corinthians 4, the NFV translation says it like this. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Then it tells us specifically about how blessing comes. In Proverbs chapter 10, it says the blessing of the Lord makes rich. It's the Lord. That gave that blessing and he adds no sorrow with it. He's the one that gave it. He's the one that blessed you. Deuteronomy 8 says it like this. You shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. And so in other words, God is the one that has empowered you to have what you have. What you have, the reality is that God's grace got you there. And certainly there've been things that you've initiated and done, but even the brain that you have was given to you by God. You don't deserve these things. They've been given to you graciously. So the wrong response is pride. But I want to contend also today that the equally wrong response is shame. See, some of us hear something like this when we go, you're right. You're right, Justin. I don't deserve anything. I'm embarrassed of the fact that I have a house. I'm embarrassed of the fact that I have a car. I'm wrong for having those things. No, that's not the correct response. Why would you be ashamed of a gift? Why would you be ashamed of God's blessing? So if I'm not supposed to be proud, I'm not supposed to be ashamed. What am I supposed to be? Humble. Humble. Grateful. That's a forgotten character trait in our world. Grateful. I'm humble. And I'm grateful. And maybe most importantly, I'm accepting that responsibility. See, the scripture says, instruct those who are rich in this present age, temporary assignment, this present age. You're not going to be that way all the time. When you move into eternity, none of that income comes with you. And so you have opportunity in this life to carry that responsibility. I'm responsible, I've been given a gift. I'm accountable before God for that gift, and I'm responsible. Let's look at what he says next. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, nor set their hopes on riches. See, with great wealth comes the temptation that wealth is the source of your security, that wealth is your substance. Here's lie number 3 no note-takers. Lie number three. A little bit more will be enough. A little bit more will be enough. This is one of the greatest lies, specifically in our culture, that's always needing a little bit more. I've heard so many people say, I promise you, I'm going to start some good habits as soon as I get a little bit more. As soon as I get it. Justin, I'm telling you, I'm going to start giving to the church as soon as I get a little bit more income. No, you won't. Let me just shoot straight with you. No, you won't. I'm going to start paying off that credit card as soon as I start, as soon as I make a little bit. No, you're not. You're not going to. I am going to stop neglecting my family. I know I work like 8 billion hours, but I'm going to stop neglecting my family as soon as I make that little bit more. No, you won't. You know how I know that? Because Jesus taught very simply that the one who is faithful with little will also be faithful with much. See, the root of your problem at the core, this hunger for a little bit more, let me get right to the core of it. It's an issue of the soul. You're not convinced of God's goodness. That's the issue. That's why you need a little bit more. See, the Apostle Paul understood that, and that's why he said, don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches. But look what he says next, but on God, what kind of God is he? Well, let's explain who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. See, that's the essence. That's it. God richly provides me with everything to enjoy. When my hope is set on God, it frees me up to have more than enough because that's the type of God that he is. It's spoken again and again and again in scriptures. Matthew 6, 33 says, but seek first the kingdom of God and all these things, speaking of the needs of food, clothing, all these things will be added to you. To the generous Philippians, the apostle Paul writes in Philippians 4, my God will supply every need of yours. What a crazy promise. And of course, non-generous people claim that thinking it's theirs. Guess what? It's not. He wrote that to generous people saying, because of the attitude that you've had, that you've set your hope on God, now there's a supernatural promise that's fulfilled in your life. He's going to supply every need. That's an awesome promise, isn't it? According to his riches in glory in Christ. The Corinthian church that was generous, uh, Paul says another thing very similar. He says, God is able to make all grace abound to you. Look at the words, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times. Well, why would God do that? Is it because he wants you to have such surplus that you're lavish with it? Is that he wants you to be extra, extra comfortable? Is that the strategy of God for why he gives these abundant blessings to those that trust him? Well, actually, it tells us right here. All sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. See, in other words, God's blessing, and we're going to dig into this more specifically in a couple weeks. God's blessing on your life is so that you can be a blessing that's the plan I've put you in this position I put you in this country at this time where you can make this income not so that you can be lavish in every regard for yourself but so that you can strategically enjoy what I've given you and be a blessing to others finding your contentment and your hope not in what you have which is a natural temptation for those that have extra but instead give it generously with your hope fixed on God good preaching thanks thank you verse 18 it's about to get really good verse 18 they are to do good to be rich in good works to be generous and ready to share check this out thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life that which is truly life that's an interesting phrase isn't it truly life that which is truly life. See, in our world, you know, you've probably heard the phrase set for life, right? Oh, dude, that guy is set for life. What does that mean? What does it mean when someone's set for life? It means they don't have to work anymore, right? Because they've made so much money that now all they have to do is just rely on the money that they've made. They're set for life. That's the goal of a lot of people in this world. I just want to get to a place where I'm set for life, right? Wait a second. Wait a second. Is that financial set for life going to produce the security that you're looking for? Lie number four, and this is the last one for today. Lie number four, security is found in surplus. Security is found in surplus. The more I can store up, the more secure I can become. The more I can, you know, surround myself with a barrier financially, the more secure I can feel. When we talk about the disciplines of finances, you will learn that it is wise to have savings. And these things are a good, you know, um, stewardship of what God has given you. That those things are not evil or wrong. However, the moment that you begin to build those things, there's a tendency in the human heart to start to find security in that surplus. And that's a lie and a deception. Security cannot be found in surplus. But the Apostle Paul is about to tell us where security can be found. This will blow your mind. Look at what he says. He says there's a good foundation for the future. Store it up. So that there's a good foundation for a future. Let me read it again just because it's going to mess with your head. He says, to be rich in good works, generous, ready to share. And then he uses a financial phrase, like an investment term. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. So in other words, he's saying there's an investment that you can make. Follow this. There's an investment that you can make. That's greater than any earthly security any bank account, 401k, any Roth IRA, anything that you could do, any mutual fund, anything that you could do to develop some type of inward security, there is a different type of account that you can deposit in that actually is a good foundation for the future. There's an eternal bank account. That's what he's talking about here. Jesus called it purses or wallets that don't wear out. In Luke 12, here, Paul calls it a good foundation for the future. See, God saves you through the blood of his son. It's a free gift by grace. And then as a follower of Christ, by faith, he gives you the opportunity to be entrusted with opportunities in this life. Stay with me to make eternal deposits in the next life. He gives you opportunities in this life to make eternal deposits in the next life. Your generosity in this life gets deposited in the next life. That's exactly what it said right here. It says that you're to be rich in good works and generous, storing up a good foundation for the future. Your generosity in this life actually puts in an account for you for all eternity a deposit for the next life, that giving is actually the greatest investment in the world. Storing up a treasure for themselves is a good foundation for the future so that you may take hold of that which is truly life. If you want to write one thing down, write this down. Today. This isn't a lie. This is truth. Told you some lies. You can know how much you believe in eternity by how much you give for God. You can know how much you believe in eternity by how much you give for God. You can know. It's nice to say I believe in heaven. It's nice to say that I believe in these things. It's nice to say I love Jesus. All those things are nice. But the Bible says the demons believe in Jesus. Doesn't do them any good. You can know how much you truly believe, how much you believe in eternity by how much you give for God. That might make some of us uncomfortable. I want you to just let that thought expand in your mind for a moment. Um, I I started this talk by saying, you know... um, as a, as a pastor, as a preacher, um, I got two strikes against me, you know. I want to be really honest with you right now. We ran some statistics in June uh, on our church. Just uh, had some friend just kind of run some specific statistics. And the church has more than doubled in terms of people since then. But there's still a few interesting things that I want to relate to you. Um, at that point in June, there's about 300 people coming to the church and um, and about 100 people were making up 95% of City Church's giving. That means that 200 people were giving 5%. That seems a little bit of a disparity to me. I'm not a mathematician. 12 people were giving 50% of the money at City Church. 12 people. There's a huge percentage of people who give nothing. Huge percentage of people who give nothing. I've already said that God doesn't want your money. Let me be clear about something else. I don't want your money. But it breaks my heart that God doesn't have your heart. Paul said it to the Philippians like this, not that I desire your gift, Listen to the phraseology he uses. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. In other words, what Paul was saying is, listen, I understand how this thing works. Your generosity in this life gets deposited in the next life. You can know how much you believe in eternity based upon how you give for God now. And the reality is that you're not giving. And I desire so deeply that these deposits be made in your account because I love you. And my heart is grieved that your heart is hard. Some of us have the experience that the prophet Haggai outlined in Haggai chapter 1 to the people of Israel. He said, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much. You've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put it in a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up on the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it. And that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because my house that lies in ruins. While each of you busies himself with his own house. Seek first the kingdom of God. A good investment. Talking about a good investment today a good investment generosity is the best investment that you can make next few weeks we're gonna be talking about a vision for your finances we're gonna be talking about the disciplines of finances we're gonna be talking about all these things and these are things it's like you know it's like a shot in the arm you don't want it but man it could save your life And this isn't the series that I get like pumped up about in the sense of like, can't wait to talk about money. But I do get pumped up about the fact that there are going to be some that catch a hold of this and get free from this deception and from these lies. Because you start to see the reality is is that I've been hoarding and holding. The reality is that generosity has been an afterthought rather than the first thought. The reality is that these things have not been the center of my heart. And my bank account, I might be rich here, but in this next life, I've got nothing stored up. Give you a little map of where we're going, okay, just to prepare your heart. I'm going to be sharing over the next... A uh, few weeks and into January, some of the stuff that City Church is doing. Lots of really exciting things. You know, we're, we're just consistently doing stupid things for God, for the glory of Jesus. And um, we're excited about what God's going to do. I mean, stupid in a holy, righteous, prayed up, fasted, prayer, you know, way. December 22nd, um, we have... Four different services that meet on a normal weekend. We're going to cancel all those services on December 22nd. Okay, so there's not going to be any Sunday morning services here or in Bridgeport. No Sunday, no Saturday night services in East Rock. All of those, uh, December 21st and 22nd, will be canceled. And on December 22nd at 6 p.m. at the Schubert Theater, we're going to have our Christmas service. Really excited about that. And uh, believing that God is going to see hundreds of people uh, meet Jesus. We want to see over a thousand people there we're believing God for. And so be thinking about that. Be praying about that. We're excited about that. The week before that is December 15th. December 15th will be the last part of this series. And we're going to do something a little bit um, maybe unique. I don't know, but it's certainly unique for us. What we felt like the Lord wanted us to do is God's put all these passions on our heart for 2014. And many of them cost a lot of money. And so we've planned our month and our year so that on December 14th, every dollar that's given doesn't go to the budgetary issues of 2013, but they will all go to the budgetary advances in 2014. And so on December 15th, every dollar that we give is going to go towards the mission and the vision of the future of what God's called us to do. And I want you to begin to wrestle right now with the thought. Have I lived the reality of generosity? Have I fallen into these lies that I'm not really rich, that I deserve all that I have, and all the lies that would try to deceive me from being who God's called me to be? And what would God have me do to turn the course Of my life around. Let's pray. God thank you for your people. And for what you're doing here this morning. God uh, we confess that many of us have had. Backwards priorities. And we can talk the game. And we can answer the questions. We got Bible trivia down. But when it comes down to our money. There's some things we're holding on to. Holy Spirit, I want to welcome you right now. Holy Spirit, I want to welcome you right now. God, as we take a moment to sing here, I pray that you start to invade this place. Pray that you start to speak to us about who we are. Pray that you start to speak to us about where we're at. God, we could hide from a church. We could hide from a family. We could hide from our friends, but we can't hide from you. God, I pray for the person right now that's suffocating in debt and feels that pressure every single day to pay their expenses and they don't know how to get out of it. I pray that you speak to them about their next step over the next few weeks. God, I pray for the person that's been hurt by the church, by leaders that have been selfish, that have been about their own glory and not your glory and have used finances for selfish gain irresponsibly. I pray that you heal them, Lord. I pray that their eternal bank account wouldn't be bankrupt for the sake of the sin of someone else, but that they would get beyond that offense and begin to live a life of generosity. God, I do pray that you give us wisdom as to how we spend our money and how we give our money and how and where and what to give. But God, I do ask that over the next few weeks you shake us why don't you just ask him that right now? Shake me right now, God. Shake me, Lord. There's areas of this area, this 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 broader area of finances, there are parts of this thing that I really need to change. Maybe you don't have a vision. Maybe you have no goals financially for the next year. Maybe you don't have a budget. You've never planned. Maybe you don't make priority giving. What's God saying to you? What does he want you to do? Just you stand on your feet with me this morning? Stand your feet with me. As for the rich in this present age, I charge them not to be haughty, nor set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They're to do good and be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. You have the potential to lose your grip on life because you haven't understood generosity. Take a few minutes now. We're going to sing. And as we sing, this is a chance for you just to worship Jesus, but it's also a chance for you to open up your heart to the Lord and say, God, what are you doing in me right now? God, how are you pressing me right now? God, how are you challenging me right now? I'll be back out to close the service in a couple minutes, but I want you to take this time, these next few moments, just to elevate the name of Christ, to put Him at the throne of your heart. And maybe right now you're wrestling with some things that you have not given over to God. Well, this would be a good time to give them over to Him. This would be a good time to actually surrender, to say, God, those things belong to You. I've been holding on to this. I've been tightly doing this, and it's time for me to open up my hand. It's time for me to trust You. So let's ask the Lord to expose our own hearts as we engage him in song. We hope you've been challenged and encouraged by this City Church podcast. Visit City Church at www.ourcitychurch.org.